You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. It is so good to be back with you. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've had a great time uh, uh, getting back to normal and all of that. Uh, it is July 5th, 2021. And uh, it is, like I said, so good to be with you. I know I've been off of the air for a while. It's just that I, I'm just a really, really busy guy. And, um, uh, but I, I, I am always going to make time uh, to get back on my post so I could get you some more meals, so I could feed you in the name of Jesus. Listen, we just love what we do. My wife and I just send our love out to all of you in the name of Jesus. Uh, I realize that my teachings are different. Uh, they, they may not be the typical dispensational uh, teachings, but that's okay. We, 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 we can, uh, there, those are, there are those who are just staunch pre-trib people. If you're staunch pre-trib, this is probably not the program for you, or it even may be if you just, if you're, if you're open to listening to what the Bible says, it, it, see, I think what ends up happening is, is people end up more, uh, 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 loyal to a doctrine than what the scripture says. And I, and, I, and I think that's always been an issue. It was, it was one of the big issues between Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, uh, th that's why they didn't get along in the scribes and the lawyers, because the, 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 uh, the educational elites, uh, they always went by the, the doctrines and attendance of men. Uh, the word of God manifested in the flesh. He came down here. He said, listen, I am the word. You guys call yourself studying theology. Well, I, I, you, you, I'm God manifested in the flesh and they rejected him because they wanted to keep their own tradition. So people, people are, got, are very guarded about their traditions and they really uh, are, uh, uh, can get offended if you think differently than, the, than the, they do. So, uh, but it is not my intention to offend anyone or to call anybody one, uh, call anybody, uh, call anybody out or defame them in these next few, um, it's going to be a series of seven that I'm doing on this. I'm actually going to be refuting Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Uh, he's an outstanding. He's he is an outstanding theologian, uh, graduate of Dallas the uh, uh, Theological Seminary. He was taught by the great Dr. John Walvoord and Pentecost and all of those. And he's uh, has several reference books out. Uh, years ago, I, I exchanged a few emails with him. I never talked to him on the phone or anything like that. I didn't have as much contact with him uh, as I uh, uh, as I did with Pentecost and Walvoord, but uh, I did uh, reach out to him and we 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 exchanged some ideas. And it was a short-lived conversation <laughs> because we were on two different pages, right? So, but uh, we're going to be using his material uh, uh, and uh, get into our lesson. So let's have a word of prayer, Father we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord God, for all of those that are tuned into the podcast on today. And we're asking you, Lord God, to open their understanding, give them a quickness of mind and heart that they'll be able to understand.
understand these very complex uh, uh, doctrine, doctrinal tenets and uh, the concepts and the precepts that we're going to be uh, unraveling in the Word of God on today. And so, Father, we just thank and praise you for them. Bless them. Keep them. Keep them safe. Keep them aware, Lord God. Keep them awake, Lord God, so they'll be able to see what is coming onto this world according to what you have written in your scriptures. In Jesus' name, now let the words of our mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and I said, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. And so uh, I just wanted to, again, uh, get right into our lesson. Uh, but I'm going to uh, begin it with a uh, with one of Dr. March Hickok's uh, uh, um, uh, one of his um, uh, statements that he uh, made in one of his uh, videos. So let me get prepared to share my screen here. And we'll get right into what Dr. Hitchcock says. Now listen very closely at what he says. Our recent view by Robert Van Kampen or Marv Rosenthal is called the pre-wrath rapture. And it's kind of a three-quarters rapture view, about five and a half years through the tribulations when the rapture will occur. And then, of course, there's the post-trib view, that I like to call kind of the yo-yo view of the rapture. We're going to be caught up to meet Jesus as he's coming at his second coming, go up and meet him and do a quick U-turn and come right back down uh, to the earth with him at that point in time. Now, there's no silver bullet, I don't believe, that proves the pre-trib rapture. Now I think that's interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Did you did you did you did you just catch what he just said? Ladies and gentlemen, there is no silver bullet that proves the pre-rat the pre-trib rapture theory. And they always they, they get away from the word theory because they know the theory doesn't sound attractive. That's like y'all really don't know. But that's really what all of the positions, you know, the ones that he mentioned, the pre-wrath, which, which uh, uh, when he talked about Marvin Rosenthal, I actually spoke with Marvin Rosenthal years ago in 1995, where my first book, uh, Unlocking the Door to Key to Biblical Prophecy, uh, came out when I was living uh, in Milwaukee and on staff at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Uh, now, when that book came out, I, I talked to him, the the the, the issue with, that I have with pre-wrath and the type of pre-wrath that I teach is different than what Marvin Rosenthal and Van Kampen, the two uh, main scholars that uh, to, uh, that have that doctrine or teach that doctrine. I, there, I, there are differences between uh, uh, theirs and mine. And I'm going to have to do a podcast because one of my listeners told us this is, it'd, be, it'd be very helpful if I delineated between the two, but there are some differences. Uh, my, my, what I teach is uh, pre-wrath because it's just simply of what it says in Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, we're not appointed to wrath. And so, but anyway, all of these positions are theories, ladies, that they're all theories. They haven't, this, the rapture has not happened yet. The Antichrist is not revealed yet. The trumpets haven't blown yet. You know, all of this it's all of this stuff is yet to happen. Therefore, how we think it's going to pan out is a theory. And so all of these are theories, ladies and gentlemen. The point is most people don't that have teach pre that have been taught pre-trib don't know their doctrine is a theory. They think it is a foregone conclusion, and this is just how it's gonna be. But you just heard one of the top pre-trib scholars around, one of the top pre-trib apologists around today just got finished saying there is no silver bullet in the scripture that proves pre-trib. But now it's a bunch of scriptures they put together to come up with the concept. Now we're not saying that he's backing off his position or he doesn't believe that he does. Uh, not saying that at all. But he's honest enough to say it up front 
that there is no silver bullet. If there was a scripture they could point to and say, this proves free trip, ladies and gentlemen, they did it. They wouldn't have had to come up with all of this stuff. And so, and the reason why all of the positions are kind of like in the same ballpark on that is because that we all have theoretical positions because this hasn't happened yet. And, and we'll be real good at it once it happens and then we can be 2020 hindsight, you know, but until then, there's a lot of questions in all of this. So what do you do if you are a Christian? You don't look at anybody. You don't you don't give priority to any one position. What you do is you get in the Bible, you read it yourself, you let Christ minister to you directly from the book of Revelation. Read it, whether you understand it or not. Just read the book. The Bible says, blessed is he that reads aloud this book and take these words to heart. It's a blessing in it just for you doing that. And God put it that way because it was important. Okay. So um, now there's another uh, share that I wanted to do. Um, and I wanted to, that, and, and which, which our teaching is going to be based on. So let's, let's get into... Um, Let's get into that so we can go to the next one. Now, this is also Dr. Mark Hitchcock, uh, but this is going to be the basis for the teaching that we're going to be doing on today. So I have another video clip that I want to play for you, okay? Now, what I want to do is look at seven reasons to support the pre-trib uh, rapture view. And now Dr. Walvert, who was at Dallas Seminary for so many years, he uh, wrote an article that I have called 50 Reasons for the Pre-Trib Rapture. Now I'm going to let you off easy this morning and just give you seven of them. And uh, these seven, I've got them uh, uh, arranged in an acronym that spells out the word pre-trib. So the first one starts with P and so on. Hopefully this will help us to be able to rem remember these things. But the pre-trib rapture view, I met a guy one time, he said he was so pre-trib, he wouldn't eat post-toasties. I mean, that's how, how strong he was on it. Or another guy I met one time said he was so strongly pre-trib, he always ate his dessert first when he had a meal in case uh, the Lord came during that. Well, let's look at these, uh, let's look at these views uh, together, an overview of these pre-trib arguments. Spell out pre-trib. The first argument is the place of the church in the book of Revelation. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll find the word church 20 times in the book of Revelation. The Greek word ekklesia. It's 20 times there. What's interesting is the distribution of the word. 19 times you have that word used in Revelation 1 to 3. So you have it 19 times. You don't have the word church again until Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. So in the main part of the Bible that deals with the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, whatever you want to call it, that great time of tribulation that's coming, which is Revelation 6 through 18. Those are the chapters that deal with that. In those chapters where you would expect to find if the church is on the earth during that period of time going through these difficulties when you'd expect to find the church on the earth during that period of time the word church never appears the church is never pictured on earth during that period of time now to me that's significant now that's an argument i recognize an argument from silence but to me in that case the silence is deafening uh, the, the, the church is absent on earth from Revelation 16 and 18 during this time of tribulation. And I think that's significant. It's a significant argument uh, for the pre-trib rapture. So that's a very simple argument. There's some of these other ones we're going to get into a little more complicated. Okay. So you just heard him say what he's equating is the distribution of the word church in Revelation. So he's equating the distribution or the use of the word church and equating it with the church being on earth. Now let me restate that. He is equating the use of the term ecclesia, equating that use of the word itself with the church being absent or not on the earth. 
Now, to me, that is a quantum leap based on the use of a word. Now, granted, he says it's, a, it's an argument from silence, but he said it's, it's part of one of the reasons. And we have to remember, uh, in the other video, Dr. Mark Hitchcock did say there is no silver bullet. So it, since there's no silver bullets, they kind of have to put the, they had to string these concepts together so that they can create a narrative or a doctrinal position. Now, this doctrinal position, ladies and gentlemen, is held by most of the church. Most Christians that you know, that you talk to about the rapture, whether they know the technical aspects of it or not, are taught pre-trib because that's what most of the pastors teach. It's the easiest one. It's the one that says, look, you don't have to deal with Revelation because we're not going to be here. So it, it's, 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 it works really, really well. But the problem is, is that true? So what we're going to do is we're going to get into my lesson, and we've got quite a bit to cover. So I want to get right into this and not belabor the time any further. So let us get right into our uh, lesson. So again, my uh, presentation is going to be a response to the arguments for the pre-trib rapture as presented by Dr. Mark, Mark Hitchcock, uh, of a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's also a pastor in Oklahoma somewhere. He's one of the professors that has written, written several reference books, well-respected in the field, okay? All right, so we gotta give him his props. All right, now, the pre-trib acronym. He didn't give you the whole acronym, but I'm going to give it to you ahead of time. Today, we're going to be working on the place of the church. So the P stands for the place of the church in the book of Revelation. The R stands for the rapture versus the return. The E stands for exemption from wrath. The T stands for the time gap. The R stands for the removal of the restrainer. The I stands for the imminent return of Christ. And the B stands for the blessed hope. So today we're going to be dealing with the place of the church in Revelation. So let's just start. So Dr. Hitchcock states that the word church is mentioned 20 times in Revelation, uh, from Revelation 1 through 3, and in 19, in chapter 19, it's mentioned once. But I'm going to just say here, not so fast, Dr. Hitchcock, not so fast. Let's give a little bit more detail than that. In its singular form, the word church is only found seven times in Revelation. Each one of these uses is speaking of a specific church location. Let me just be clear about this. It's speaking of a specific church location. For example, the church at Ephesus or the church at Smyrna or the church at Pergamos. So it's only used seven times in a singular form. The other 13 times, the word, uh, uh, it's not church singular, it's churches plural. The other 13 times, it's again, it's the plural term of the word. And these uses are all in the sense of a local church, such as the singular form that is used in the book of Revelation. The church at Pergamos, that's singular. In other words, it's talking about a particular church congregation. Since seven churches were being addressed in Revelation, the plural form of churches is used as in when John was talking about he was addressing the seven churches at Asia Minor. Okay? However, Paul does also use the word church in a singular fashion, and I'm bringing up Paul for a reason, in a singular fashion, but Paul is particularly known in Pauline theology for the singular use of the word church that means the universal church 
or what we call the body of Christ. So he uses it, he has a way of using it that's different than the singular use, okay? So we just want to make sure, it says, however, in the, uh, let's just put it, however, in the, in the Pauline epistles, the word church in a singular form does not mean a local congregation, but it means a universal church when he uses it that way. And we're going to give some examples of that. Okay. Paul's, for example, this is a, uh, a use of Paul's use of the word church in a singular sense. Let's give it. And, and again, I'm taught, I know we're, we started out in the book of Revelation. I jumped to, to the Pauline epistles, but it's a reason why I'm doing it. And I, and I have to lay the foundation for you to understand it. Okay. In Romans 16, 5, this is what it says. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute the, my, my uh, well-beloved who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. And so, and so he, this, is, this is the church that Paul was talking about. This was in these people's house. So you know you're talking about that, this, this is like a hood church for real. <laughs> because it was some of somebody's crib, you know, probably down in the basement somewhere. You know, I'm being facetious. But, but that's, a, that's for real a local church right in somebody's house right glory to god paul's use of the word church in the universal sense so now we're going to give you an example of paul using it in a universal sense let's see like ephesians 3 10 okay let's look at that it says to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of god okay see where i have in red the church that's the universal church. That means all Christians, whether it's from Pentecost to the day the rapture happens, everything in between that is called the church. And we're all known as the church. That's the universal church. Whether you're dead or alive, glory to God, all of us will be caught up. Uh, 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 the dead in Christ will rise first. We'll be caught up to be uh, alive and remain in the rapture. Glory to God. And so th this is... All of those that are going to be involved in that event make up what is known as the body of Christ, the church. So now when Paul could be talking about the church in a singular, like John did, the church at Pergamos, or he could be talking about the church uh, that is the universal church, and that's what we have here in Ephesians 3.10. Let's look at another example. Uh, Ephesians 5.23, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, now when Christ talking about being the head of the church, and it says he's also the savior of the body. So the body of Christ, Christ is the head of the church. We are his body, glory to God. That's the universal church. Let's give another example. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, the body of Christ, the church, he's the head. That's the universal church, okay? Colossians 1.24, let's do another one, okay? Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind at the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Again, that is the universal church. So when speaking specifically of the universal church of the body, Paul never uses the plural form of the word. Why? Because there's only one church, okay? One body that spans all Christians, dead or alive, during the church age, beginning at Pentecost, ending with the rapture. So he never uses the plural form, glory to God, to talk about the body of Christ. Because there's only one body of Christ. Christ is only the head of one church. So that's why you don't see churches. He's the head of the churches. In that sense, because there's only one church. Okay? Uh, but the plural form is obviously talking about local congregations, as we see in Revelation. Now, getting back to John. In Revelation, John only uses the word church in a local singular sense. And there's a reason for that. We're going to get into that. Okay? When he uses the plural form, speaking of John, that's also local. All right? Let's get, because why? There's only one church. There's only one body of Christ. So if he uses churches, he's not talking about the, he's not talk, speaking of the church in a universal sense. But, okay, there's only one body of Christ, but there are many churches 
all over the world, whether it be in somebody's house, whether it be a mega church, whether it be a rented space at a hotel, whether it's whatever it is, there's a there's a bunch of different locations. And those, so those are all local. That's when you use the word churches. OK. All right. Revelation was written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So we even get a region of the world. He, he wasn't even addressing the, the, well, the letters weren't sent specifically. It was sent specifically to those seven churches. Now, of course, we're not saying it doesn't, these things, these words don't have application to other stuff. I mean, I mean, we do it all the time. We go into Ezekiel 37. We talk about the Valley of Dry Bones and then we apply it somewhere else. Well, that's talking about the resurgence of Israel, but we, we, we apply scriptures different when we preach and when we teach. Okay. Uh, we talk about Daniel and the, uh, and the three Hebrew boys being thrown in the den. And then we say, you know, God to deliver you from trials and tribulation, but we use that. So I'm not saying that the 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 uh, uh, the use and, and the in the uh, uh, the fact that Jesus addressed the seven churches in Avon Mind that you can't make application to these churches. That I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying from a, a grammatical historical perspective, these were sent to the seven churches in Asia Minor. You can't get out of that. It's explicit in the text. And so that's why the plural term is used because there's more than one church that was being involved. And we're not just talking, and we're only talking about seven locations of local churches in seven different cities in Asia Minor. Okay, let's look at the text. All right, Revelation 4 1. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So this talking about the seven churches which are in Asia. That's why you have the plural form because we're talking about more than one church and more than one location. Let's look at Revelation um, one eleven. He says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What thou have seen, write in a book and send it unto who? The seven churches which are in Asia. Now, this time he names them unto the church Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Okay. So the thing is now, now what I'm going to do here is I want to, I want to, um, uh, share something with you because I think it's interesting. Uh, now, the reason why the churches are in that order, they're in an order for some reason. Here, if you see my cursor right here, I'm going around the circles right here. This is the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was known for its harbor that ended up silting and the, and the glory of Ephesus kind of faded and it kind of matched the same fervor as the church of Ephesus, how they had left their first love and they had how, how they had got, kind of got a little light to days ago and things like that. And Jesus said, go back and do your first words over. Well, just simultaneously as the church was fading, so was the glory of Ephesus. Ephesus was fading because its harbor was silting. That means sediment sits on the bottom. The ships can't get in because now the, the, the harbor is too shallow. But that was one of the things why Ephesus, they didn't have, they didn't have the dread vessels that they have today. You know, that still is a problem, but they have dredging vessels and barges that go down with these big scoops and they dig up the thing so, so ships can still get in there. They didn't, they weren't able to do that back in that day. So Ephesus faded. But the point is when you landed at Ephesus, because this is where the harbor was, right? You would start on the courier route. You would go from Ephesus, glory to God, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, then over to Thyatira, follow the red churches there, then down to Sardis, then down to Philadelphia, then down to Laodicea. So it's it was the courier route. So that's why the churches are named in that order, because that's the route that the courier would have went on. Okay, so let's go back to my share. I just want to I just wanted to share that with you because a lot, a lot of people don't know that. They say, oh, okay, that's why it's in that order. So, all right, now the problem is with Dr. Hitchcock's. Uh, what he was teaching there, what he was asserting is Dr. Hitchcock equates the word church not being in the text with the universal church not being on earth based on the use of the word church in the text. Now, that's not good eisegesis. 
I'm sorry. That is good eisegesis, but it's bad exegesis. Okay? So eisegesis, when you read stuff into the text, eisegesis is when you extract out. So it's good eisegesis, it's bad exegesis. You don't want to be on the eisegesis side. You always want to be on the exegesis side. Okay? This assertion is a quantum leap and puts too much emphasis on a semantic issue where a word, where the word church is or isn't found. Now all of a sudden you're just gonna make you you you're gonna you're gonna start your pre-trib acronym to back your doctrine given seven reasons. You're gonna start your argument off with a weak argument, a very weak argument. Okay? That and it's a weak argument that doesn't really make sense. And if you as you follow me, you'll see today why that's so. First of all, John never uses the word church to describe the body of Christ as Paul does anyway. However, that's exactly what Dr. Hitchcock is claiming. But, but it's not found in Revelation that John does it that way. So what we really have now is an equivocation in terms. Now, granted, the word church is found in Revelation 1, to, uh, 1 through 3, and then once again in uh, 19, and it is 20 altogether. So he was right about the accumulation. It's just that I wanted to break it down seven times in a singular form dealing with specific churches and 13 times in his plural term, term dealing with all seven of those churches together because that's where the plural comes from because it's the seven churches of Asia Minor where Jesus says, send a letter to these people. So that's where that comes from. Now, to take the word church and the use of the word church and where the word church is found in Revelation and then conclude that the body of Christ is not on earth because it's not in these other chapters is a quantum leap. And we're going to see why that is so. For example, let's, let's just stick with the writings of John here for a minute. In 3 John, the only book where John uses the word church, except in Revelation, it's cause, cause, let's look at the, let's just name the John Henian writings. We have the Gospel of John, we have the three epistles of John, and we have the Re Book of Revelation. Uh, most scholars believe that, that he wrote all of them. Of course, there's you can read somebody who believe it was another John. Look, I ain't got time for that right now. We, we're not even dealing with that. Okay, John the Gospel, the three epistles, and the Book of Revelation were written by the Apostle John. Okay, all right now. Third John is the only book where John actually uses the word church. So we're gonna we're just gonna deal with the literature that John uses, okay? All right. Except Revelation, church is only used in a local sense. Okay, now, okay, let me let me restate because I, I just threw something in there that I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it that way. In third John, the only book where John uses the word church, except in Revelation, church is only used in a <laughs> in, in a local sense, okay? It's only used in a local sense. Therefore, you will not find the word church as the body of Christ, not only in Revelation, but not in any of John's writings. Because you won't find the church singular as in the body of Christ in any of his writings. John doesn't use the word church that way. Okay? The premise that you should find it in Revelation as the church, because that's what Dr. Hitchcock said, the church is not on earth, then he's talking about the body of Christ. Why are you looking for the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ, and John Henry and writings in the first place? You're wrong to do that. Okay, we're going to get to that. With the exception of Hebrews, no other New Testament writer uses the word church in a universal sense as Paul does. The question is, is why? So we're not just talking about John, we're talking about the rest of them. Now, just talking about John, why is that? Let's take a look at it. John did not receive the same revelation about the universal church or the variety of Christ as did Paul. Point number one. Paul stated that he did not receive his doctrine from anyone but by the direct revelation of Jesus Christ. The direct revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how he received this doctrine. Okay? Let's look at this in Galatians. In Galatians 1, 11 and 12, this is what the Apostle Paul says. But I certify you, brother, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. 
For neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's, let's look at this. Paul says again, the gospel which is preached by me. Now the gospel, he's not just talking about death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about all his doctrine. All of it. Okay? He says, I neither received it of man. He says, no human being on earth gave me this. Neither was I taught it. He said, I didn't get nobody. I, I, I didn't happen up nobody who had it in a briefcase and I opened a briefcase and then I, I received it from them. Nor did I sit at anybody's feet like Gamaliel, uh, Gamaliel or Caiaphas or somebody else. Neither did I do that. I ain't sit at none of their feet. Neither was I taught it. Okay. So then what else does Paul say in Galatians? Uh, uh, picking up at uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. He says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach among the heathen or the Gentiles, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He, Paul said, when I received that, that, that calling, when he revealed Jesus Christ in me, he said, immediately I did not confer with flesh and blood. Paul is going out of his way to say what I am teaching, I got from nobody else. He, now he's going flesh and blood. Then he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem, which were apostles before me. Paul said, I stayed away from these people because I didn't want my stuff getting mixed up with theirs. People saying that I got my stuff from them. Paul said, I stayed away from Jerusalem. He says, but I went to Arabia. <laughs> he said, I went the other direction. Then he says, and I returned again to Damascus, which is in Syria. Okay. Then after three, then he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But the other apostles, I saw none except James, the brother of the Lord. He said, I didn't even see, he said, I didn't even see none. And the one I did see, he didn't say I stayed with him, I lived with him. I moved in with him. He just said, I saw James, the Lord's brother. He said, but now Peter, I stayed with him a couple of weeks. And I'm pretty sure that's when Paul downloaded all of this, a lot of this stuff that he had just gotten years later after his conversion, he finally got with Peter. So this was not like Paul was on the road to Damascus. He got saved he, and, and he got his stuff together and then he went and found Peter. No, the years had went by, ladies and gentlemen. Paul said, look, I went, to, I, I went the opposite direction. I didn't go see none of those guys. I didn't, I didn't, want to, I didn't, I didn't even want to get, to get confused. So Paul makes a point here of letting us know where his, where his doctrines come come from. Now listen to what Paul says in Romans uh, 16, 25. Paul says, now unto him who is of power to establish you according to my gospel. And the reason why he calls it my gospel is because of what he said up here in Galatians. I didn't get this from anybody. I did not confer with flesh and blood. Neither was I taught it. No man taught me. I got this stuff directly from my doctrines, directly from the uh, uh, revelation of Jesus Christ personally. So this is how I got my stuff. Glory to God. All right. So now, the other apostles, therefore, the other apostles could not have known Paul's doctrines, number one, nor use the terminology that he used exclusively in his teachings because they were given to Paul directly by Christ. So this is why, so, so the, what he, what, what evidently Paul did share some with Peter, but I don't think he shared everything with him because he didn't stay with him. Now, he was only there 15 days. Paul had years of revelation and stuff that he had accumulated before he even went, even went to uh, see Peter. So now, but this is what, let, listen to Peter's testimony on this. Peter says in 2 Peter uh, 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 3.15 and 16, this is what Peter says. The account that the, of the long suffering of our Lord, Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him, because he said, I didn't get this wisdom, it was wisdom that was specifically given to him, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some are hard to be understood. Pete, listen, I would, 
would have loved to been in that room when Paul went with Peter and sat there at Peter's house for 15 days. Paul probably downloaded some stuff that blew Peter's socks off. I, I, I'm sure that happened. Glory to God. And Paul is, and Peter's up there said, man, this is deep. He's trying to write stuff down, trying to keep up with it. Paul, Peter thinking he done been, been through some big thing by, by, by having the vision with the sheep. You know, when Cornelius was saved, he saw the vision and the Lord's voice saying, kill and eat, and how he used the keys of the kingdom. Peter thought he was cooking a fire on all cylinders, and he was for what he was called to do. But, but, but then comes Paul, who God downloaded the entire library. I mean, God gave him some stuff. He did, but Peter didn't know doesn't teach anything about the rapture of the church, the catching up of the church, the order in the church, Christ being the head, the body of Christ, as in all Christians from rapture, from Pentecost to rapture. All those doctrines are exclusively Pauline. And so that's why Peter said, now some of his stuff is hard to understand. This is Peter's own testimony of Paul. This goes to testify that Paul had doctrines that none of the other apostles had, including John. Including John. Understanding this, you cannot look for John to utilize Pauline theology or Pauline terminology in regards to the church when, you're re when reading Revelation because it's not there. This is a typical categorical error that those who promote pre-trib, they make it all the time by saying, well, the church, well, when you say the church, you're talking Pauline, you're talking Pauline theology there. That's what you're talking when you say the church is not found. And then you go back to the semantic use of the term church, the church at Pergamos and the word church is, and you say, oh, see this, is there, is there 20 times and, and the use of the word church and all of that, and, the, and then you equate that to Pauline theology as the church, which John never used the word that way, and so now you, what you've done is you've equivocated the terminology in the middle of an argument. You go from talking about local churches, which John is talking about, then you switch Pauline theology, throw that in the argument and that's where the problem is because you can't do that because it's two different revelations from two different people glory to God now it all coincides in one corpus of scripture that we have yes and one canon of scripture yes one standard of scripture yes it all coincides it all comes together yes but different people received different things However, like I said, this is exactly what Dr. Hitchcock has done. When he says the church, the body of Christ, it is, is not found on earth. He's basing that on the fact the term church is not found between Revelation 6 and 18. So now he's did that quantum leap. And said, well, the word isn't there, so the, the Christians aren't on the planet. You, you just simply cannot do that, Dr. Hitchcock. I mean, I, all due respect. It's just a very bad position. But he ain't the only one that does it. Bree Tripp does this all the time. These are, and, and the people who ascribe or assert or believe or have accepted is true, the doctrine of pre-trib, they don't know this stuff. They just heard their pastor say they're not in it on the technical level. They don't know there is no silver bullet that proves pre-trib. They don't know that. They've just been taught it. And so to them, it's, it's, it's real. And this is how it's supposed to be. Glory to God. So the use of the word church in the epistle. So let we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, I, I want to uh, go to uh, my Bible program. And then what we're here is going to, we're going to, we're going to do a, a little uh, search here. The use of the word church in the, uh, in, in, in the uh, epistles. So we're just going to go here. We're going to search it out, church. All right, now, in the New Testament, all right, it's only found twice in Matthew, and all of the Gospels is only found twice in Matthew. Several times in Acts. We're not interested in Acts right now. Okay, the word church, we see it in the Pauline 
uh, epistles. All of these, like Romans is Pauline, 1 Corinthians is Pauline, 2 Corinthians is Pauline, Galatians is Pauline, Ephesians is Pauline, Philippians is Pauline, Colossians is Pauline, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, all Pauline, the Titus epistles, the Passover epistles, Pauline, Philemon, Pauline, Hebrews is not Pauline, but the word church is used in Hebrews in a, in a universal sense. Okay, now we're getting to James. We're getting to the Jewish apostles. We're getting to James. First of all, and James, it's only used one time. You're looking at it right there, James 5.14, and it says, Any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's a local use of the church, of the word church. In other words, he's saying, if somebody's sick in your church, what you do is you call for the elders, get the, get the, get the anointing oil, anoint him, pray for him, and pray for him. That's local. That's not talking about the universal church. That's a local church uh, a use of the word. Then the next time the church is uh, the word church is used in the Jewish epistles is in First Peter. Now, but this is interesting. In First Peter, it's only used once. The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you and salute you as do with my son Marcus, my son. But notice the word church that is. Notice that's in italics, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to it. Let's take a look at this. I want you to see this for yourself. Okay, look, the church that is at Babylon. Notice the church that is, it's in italics. That means it's not in the original. The translators added that. If we go to the NIV and look at the same passage, look what it says. She who is at Babylon. The word church isn't even really even there. But the point is, even let's just go by the King James. Even if we include it, and it shouldn't be included. Even if we include it. It's talking about the church that is at Babylon. So you know that's that's local. <laughs> so because they talk about the church at Babylon. Okay, so even if you was to count that, it's still local. And then the use of the word church in uh uh in the in, in the John Henian epistles. It's not used in first John, second John. Okay? The word church is only used in third John, and it's used three times. Look, look at this. Now, this is the guy. Uh, named Gaius, whom they're commending. It's, it's okay, let, let's, let's, let's turn to it, then that way you guys can see it. The apostle, I just want to read the, the title, the, uh, uh, this heading here. The apostle commends Gaius for his piety. That's what this church is talking about. It's talking about two individuals, Gaius and another guy named Diotrephus. Okay, now, this is talking about the people at the church that he's talking about. So the church that he's, word church that he's using here, which is three times, we've just seen it in the search, it's used in a local sense. Then the second time it's used, because here it's talking about Gaius. Okay, the, here's Gaius right here. And now, and okay, the second time it's talking about this guy, Diotrephus. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loved the preeminence among them, received us not. Then he, and he cast them out of the church. So we know we're talking about a local use of the word church. So what we are finding is John never used the word church to mean the body of Christ the way Paul used it. He only used it in a local sense. Why is that? Because the things that Paul was taught, ladies and gentlemen, Paul got from Christ he didn't get them from John. So unless Paul would have sat down with John and downloaded all that, John would only use the word the way he knew how to use it. But it's not just John. It is also the rest of the Jewish apostles, which is, which is also, so James only used it once. Peter really didn't use it. And John only uses it in 3 John, speaking of a local church. Okay. So I, I just want I just wanted to show you that so we can understand, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm not just coming up with stuff and I'm giving you the fallacies of pre-trib. See, they don't tell you all of this when they come up with these stupid talking points, because that's what this one was. It's really a dumb talking point. OK, OK. Now, the word church is not found in first Peter. OK, technically it's not. But listen to this. The word church. So so and the reason I, I'm making an argument here. The word church is not found in 2 Peter, it's not found in 2 Timothy, it's not found in Titus, it's not found in 1 John, 2 John, 
excuse me, and it's not found in Jude, and we got to throw in First Peter because the translators added that. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books, epistles of the New Testament, just the epistles. Do not, the word church is not found. So now, let's look at this. In Galatians 1.13, so, so, well, before I make this point. So, what we say, since the word church is not found in these epistles, that the church is not on earth. Oh, the word church doesn't appear. Come on now, that doesn't make any sense. You, you don't have to be a scholar for that to be sound like a really dumb argument. You don't have to be a scholar for that. It's seven books in the New Testament. The word church is not found. Six of them, uh, or some of them, one, two, two of them are Pauline epistles. Okay? But let's go with the analogy that, that Dr. Hitchcock used. He said it's used. 20 times. And he talks about the distribution of the word church. So so let's 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 just deal with that. Let's go look at the, let's let's take that distribution theory and apply. Let's see if it works anywhere else. Because in Galatians, let's look at Galatians. The church is used in a singular form once. In Galatians 1:13. And then in the plural form it's used in the first chapter in verses 1 and verses 22. So you have both uses, the singular use and the plural use. But after that, the word church doesn't appear in Galatians again. <laughs> so do we conclude that the church is not on earth? Because it was mentioned in his first chapter in his single and plural form and then not mentioned again for the rest of the epistle. Do we say, well, the church was raptured? Do we say the, that, that they're not there? Of course we would not use that stupid argument and apply it here. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. Paul not only used the word church to identify Christians of the church, but the other word he used, ladies and gentlemen, is saints. Paul used the word saints. When Paul paints with broad strokes, he uses the overarching corporate terminology to describe all Christians during the church age as the, the church or the body of Christ or the bride. He doesn't always use the word church. He only uses it sometimes when he's trying to paint with broad strokes, okay? Almost as much he uses the word saints. Glory to God. Let's get an example of this. Romans 8, 26 through 28. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That he may that he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good, for them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. Now, if we look at verse number 27, and he he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for what? The saints. Now, now, Paul is clearly talking about all saints, all saints of all ages of all times. He's talking about everybody. How the Spirit making intercessions for us. That wasn't just the Romans he was talking about. He's talking about everybody. But he didn't use the word church. This time he used the word saints because it's dealing with an individual, our individuality, the things that we go to. Because he was talking about, you, we, we don't know how, what to pray for. 
And since he's talking about an individual's relationship, his vertical relationship with Christ, as because we are all we all have a personal relationship with him. Glory to God. He says we don't know what to pray for. He says, so what the Holy Spirit does is he makes intercession for the saints. Now here Paul is clearly talking about anybody that's in the church, but he uses the word saints here to mean everybody. That's why it's in the plural. Okay? So if you inserted the word church in this verse, it wouldn't change the meaning at all. This is how it would read. Because he maketh intercession for the church according to the will of God. Wouldn't change anything. Because here you could, either, you, you could use either term. But in this one, Paul's not talking about the overarching broad strokes things. Here he's talking about individuals praying. So he doesn't use church, he uses saints. Paul used saints to identify Christians. And this is important because we see that word used in Revelation. We don't see the word church used in Revelation. We see the word saints used in Revelation. Okay? So let's just get let's just get an idea. Let me let me let me let me let me let's 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 go back to my my program. We're gonna search this thing out. I want you to see it for yourself. Alright, so we're going to do a new search. We're going to go saints. And we're just looking at the, we're just going to look at the Pauline epistles. Look, in Romans, he uses saints eight times. First Corinthians, he uses it six, it's found in six verses. Not times, verses. Second Corinthians is five verses. Ephesians, nine verses. Philippians, two verses. Colossians, two verses. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, one verse. 2 Thessalonians, one verse. And, and Timothy, one verse. Glory to God. And Philemon, two verses. Hebrews will skip because Paul didn't write Hebrews. Uh, and Jude and uh, them. So, we're, so we, I'm just talking about the Pauline epistles. So now you can see. Glory to God. Now you can see the um, that. Hold on one minute. Now, now you can see that Paul typically uses the word saints like he uses the word church. It's all through his epistles. It's common to Paul. Okay? Let's go back to my PowerPoint. So when we... So again, when we look at the uh, Jewish epistles, Peter, James, and John, we see we see that um, that the word church is sparsely used. In Galatians, we went through all this material. Paul paints when he paints with broad strokes. You know, he uses the word church. So then we just got finished dealing with uh, Romans uh, eight twenty six through uh, through twenty eight. So now. Again, so like I say, if you inserted the word church in there, because he make an intercession for the church according to the will of God, it would mean the same thing. Okay, because you could use them. There you actually could interchange that. It wouldn't change the meaning at all. Not at all. Okay? The point is, when Paul is speaking of Christians, he doesn't always use the word church. That's the point. He quite often uses the word saints, and we just searched that out. Okay? Now, fast forward 2,000 years into the future, 2021st century. So now we were dealing, all of that stuff we just dealt with was in the first century, right? Now we got to fast forward to the 21st century. Why do we fast forward to the 21st century? Because the rapture hasn't happened yet for 21 centuries. It could happen during this century, so we have to use the century that we're in because the rapture hasn't happened yet. So we got to use our time. Okay, I can't use 22. I can't use 20. Because he didn't come in the 20th century. Now we're in the 21st century. So fast forward 20, 21 centuries. All right? Now John is not addressing Christians on the basis of a local congregation, but saints in a wicked world. Now, what do I mean by that? Because in chapters 2 and 3, ladies and gentlemen, he's addressing the seven churches of Asia Minor. That was contemporary to his day during the first century. 
But by the time you get to Revelation chapter 13, we are all the way in the future during the reign of Antichrist. We know that's at least a 2,000 year gap. We know that. We know that. How do we know? Because we're in the 21st century and the rapture hasn't happened yet. So now if we're talking about the Antichrist, we have changed the milieu. We have changed the environment of the text. And we're no longer pointing at seven local churches in Asia Minor. What we're pointing to is a far off future event that's not being addressed in the context of seven church locations. That's not the context of Revelation 13. John is not addressing Christians on the basis of a local congregation, but the saints in a wicked society globally. In Revelation 2 and 3, the address was to believers in connection with a specific church, addressing the issues found in each specific church. For example, however, however, Christians not only attend church, but are active in society at large. We are the lights of the world. Christians don't just go to church. <laughs> they, they, they live, they work, they survive in the world. So church is not the only context that you found us. The context that we dealt with in Revelations 2 and 3 were the issues and the actions of specific congregations. In Revelation 13, we're dealing not with congregations, but people, Christians all over the world who are going to have to deal with a guy called the Antichrist. However, so when we get to Revelation 13, excuse me, when we get to Revelation 13, the emphasis is not to Christians in connections with the church, but to Christians who are interacting, living, surviving in a world turned hostile under the tyranny of the Antichrist. Interestingly, the word Antichrist is only found in John's epistles. John, but this is what John states. It's only used three or four times in, in, in John's epistles. I think uh, 1 John and 2 John is where you find the word Antichrist. All right? Listen to what John states. John states, dear little children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Now, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> This is the same guy that wrote Revelation. Now, he's the same guy. If John were teaching a pre-trib rapture, and I, 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 I would think this would be a good time. Hey, maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe the rest of y'all won't, won't see it like I'm seeing it. Maybe it's just, just me. I'm just crazy. But wouldn't this be the time saying, since y'all, John is saying, you guys have heard about Antichrist. That means people would talk about Antichrist in that day. So it was already a conversation. That's why he's addressing it. Okay. Paul was already talking about eschatology. He was talking about the day of the Lord. He was talking about the rapture. He was talking about the revealing of the Antichrist. Listen, the first century Christians were up on this stuff. We're the ones who would have dropped the subject. But anyway, don't you think that since this would have been a perfect time for John to say, you have heard Antichrist is coming, but don't worry about him because the church will not be on earth. 
Now, Dr. Hitchcock said the church is not on earth between Revelation 6 and Revelation 18. Now, somehow Dr. Hitchcock knows, knows that, but John didn't seem to make that an issue when talking about the Antichrist. I just find that interesting. Like I say, maybe it's just me. You know, maybe it's because it's July 5th, 2021, and it's, I'm crazy. But wouldn't you think that's what he would have said? Why y'all worried about the Antichrist? Because you got you got these crazy Antichrists, but don't worry about the one that's coming because we, the church is not going to be on earth. Okay. John was if John again was preaching a pre-tribulational rapture prior to the arrival of the Antichrist, why is he telling Christians to anticipate the many Antichrists as well as the Antichrist? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to leave this here. I wanted to only do one segment to this, but I'm going to have to do this in a two-part series. So we're going to pick up right here, same place, in our next program, in our next broadcast. You must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.